Welcome to the latest episode of the IA School of Thought series with me, Saeed Kamal. I'm the Academic Research Director at the IEA. Now, this series is based on the IEA book, School of Thought, 101 Great Liberal Thinkers by Dr. Eamon Butler, and which, as the title suggests, summarises the thoughts of leading classical liberal thinkers on a range of issues and discusses them within a modern context. All the episodes in this series and our other online content can be found on our IA YouTube channel, IA London, on Podbean or our website, ia.org.uk. Now, today's featured thinker is Chicago School economist Milton Friedman. And to discuss his life and his work, I'm delighted to be joined by Douglas Carswell, who is a co-founder or was a co-founder of Vote Leave and now the director of the Good Governance Project. Douglas, delighted that you could join us today. Okay. How are you? I, I'm fine. I'm great to have you here. Can I um, start off by asking you, why did you pick Milton Friedman? Was there anything in particular that inspired, him, you know, inspired you to choose him? Did he have a profound impact on you specifically? Or was it just someone that you admire who's shaped our thinking? Two reasons why I chose him. First of all, the effect that Friedman had on me personally. I remember watching the TV series that he made in the early 80s, Free to Choose, that had a profound impact as, as quite a young child. It made me realize and understand some quite complicated ideas about how economic and social complexity doesn't require design, that actually the economy and society are best left to organize themselves. And he explained these ideas in such an accessible way that as a as I, I must have been in my early teens, I could understand this. And it really set me on the path to being a, a free market, classical, liberal, stroke libertarian that I, that I am today. But, but I think far more than just the influence Friedman might have had on one uh, English schoolboy, um, I actually think Friedman was probably the most, in the words of John Schultz, the former uh, US Secretary of State, I think Milton Friedman was probably the most influential man of the 20th century. Now, you, you might think it a little odd that um, someone should make such a claim for Milton Friedman. He was a, a, a very humble, um, uncharismatic um, academic who spent most of his life beavering away in the departments of various universities in America. Yet I think George Schultz was right to describe Friedman as one of the most influential figures of the 20th century. Because Friedman, he may not have run a country, he may not have been a president, he may not have won elections, but he wrote the script for the people who did hold that office, that high office. He wrote the script for Ronald Reagan and Ronald Reagan's economic reforms. He wrote the script for Margaret Thatcher and Thatcher's reforms. He even influenced China in 1978, 77, sorry, 77, 78, 79, China started to liberalize. And we know that he had an influence on Zhao Ziyang, one of the key architects of Deng Xiaoping's reforms. And we know that he had this direct influence on policymakers in China. Arguably, Friedman set China on this path towards economic liberalization, which saw China take off, and uh, perhaps the biggest geopolitical event of, of, of the the past hundred years or so. Friedman didn't influence the way Britain and America and the West and the way China uh, are governed. He also popularized these ideas. So he left behind a, a legacy of a world that was increasingly open to the free market, open to globalization, 
open to specialization and exchange, a world that we increasingly take for granted. Um, and he popularized these ideas and he made them electorally successful and sustainable. And I think that is a, a phenomenal achievement for one um, rather uncharismatic, rather academic um, policy wonk from um, the University of Chicago. I, I, I think he wrote the script that um, changed the world and changed it for the better. What's interesting about your answer there is normally in this series, we often ask the, the guest uh, to talk about whether they had an impact immediately or it took time. Clearly, he had an impact immediately and also he influenced you. Um, what do we know about who Milton Friedman himself was inspired by or influenced by? Well, what I found quite interesting about Friedman is he didn't really get going in many ways until quite late on in life. He was born in, in 1912. He um, was an academic who graduated and started um, doing some studies at the University of Chicago in the depths of the Depression. I don't think he really formulated some of his ideas until you know, the, the 60s when he first wrote a book um, called um, um, Capitalism and Freedom, 1962, I think it was, and that brought him to national attention in the States. But it, it wasn't until he was 65, until he was really quite late in his career, that he started to produce the, the great Free to Choose series that made him a household name and indeed changed the way that households around the world thought about politics and the economy. So I, I, I suspect he, he, a lot of the ideas that we now associate with him, I think probably took quite a long time to, to, to germinate within him. He, he, he I don't think, was uh, 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 the critic of American monetary policy and the New Deal and the response to the Depression that, that, that he was by the time he wrote his, his, his book, The uh, Monetary History of the United States. So I, I think he took quite a long time a little bit like Margaret Thatcher. Thatcher didn't become a Thatcherite straight away. I don't think Friedman was born a Friedmanite. He, he got there incrementally. And it wasn't really until the 60s that we start to see him create this incredibly powerful alternative narrative about how the economy should be run. Of course, for, for, for most of his early career, the Keynesian orthodoxy, this is the idea that governments should manage aggregate demand in an economy and keep unemployment down by, by fiscal stimulus. He, he challenged that but he only started, I think, to really effectively challenge that from the 60s and, and, and then through the 70s. And his, his real influence, I think, came about by the late 70s and, and, and then the 80s under, under Thatcher and Reagan. But it he, he took him, and as someone who's, a, I, I think, fair to describe as, as, as middle age, I love the idea of someone becoming increasingly influential and effective and original in their thought as, as they approach later life. Um, he certainly didn't have his most inspiring ideas when he was young. And I think you and I, as both former politicians, I hope that we will continue, we will develop our ideas and inspire others in our post-political lives, as it were. Now, we know that he studied, I think it was under Frank Knight, who would have had some influence on him. Who else do we know might have had influence on him? Or did he ever write about who inspired him? Um, I mean, I... I, I think he was influenced by, by, by quite a broad spectrum of, of fellow travellers at the Chicago School in, in University of Chicago. There was a, a, a group of them who became collectively known as, as the Chicago School. Um, I mean, I, I think he had, you know, he was, he, he was a, a, a very open-minded thinker. I, 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 I think he, he, he absorbed ideas around him. But um, he, was, he was one of the key founders of the, the, the Chicago School. 
Um, and I, I, I think, I, I, I imagine he was someone who probably read pretty extensively. Um, and he was pretty influential in creating this counter narrative to the, the, the sort of Keynesian orthodoxy of, of the day. I mean, I, I think there are a number of occasions in his career when he, he, he found it quite hard and, and being a member of a faculty didn't quite work out for him. And I suspect that is because some of what he, some of what he thought and some of his quite original research, um, which was um, outside the Keynesian orthodoxy, probably slightly jarred with the prevailing orthodoxy around him. I mean, I don't think it's perhaps as bad as academia in America today, where, you know, if you don't conform and subscribe to certain orthodoxies, you, you, you won't get a look in. But I, I, I think he certainly was part of a, a small group of academics who um, in, the, in the 50s and the 60s were, were, were well outside the, the Keynesian mainstream. Um, in terms of influence, and there is a saying, behind every great man there's a great woman. And he did write, co-author co some of his books, or write uh, with his wife, Rose Friedman. What do we know about that partnership and how they influenced each other? It, it was very much a partnership. I mean, I, I'm such a fan of Milton Friedman's and indeed Rose Friedman, his wife. I, at the end of last year, I, I traveled to Vermont where Rose and Milton built um, a cottage in the hills, the mountains of Vermont. And outside the cottage today, there is a, a statue, a monument to both of them. And it's a a full bronze sculpture of both Rose and Milton sitting on a bench overlooking the green hills of Vermont. And I think it's a very, very fitting tribute to Milton Friedman because he was very much part of a package. He met Rose at the uh, University of Chicago when he was relatively young, um, and they were very much a partnership. Um, when he came to produce the Free to Choose television series, which really made his name and, and had a profound impact upon the political climate in, 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 on both sides of the Atlantic, and uh, I would say perhaps even paved the way for Thatcherism, he, he very much did that in partnership with, with, with Rose. I was talking to Bob Chister, who was um, a young man at the time who, who helped Milton Friedman and Rose Friedman make that series. And it was very much a partnership between Rose and Milton. And if you talk to Bob about the experience of, of producing that, that series, I, I, I think Rose certainly helped him to articulate and encapsulate some of the thoughts he was trying to articulate and encapsulate. They were, she, was, she was very much an academic in her own right. Um, she was clearly very influential in, in how he thought. And, um, you know, it, it, it's very difficult, I think, to think of Milton Friedman without some reference to, to Rose, his wife, who was very much, very much as intellectually equal. Now, you spoke about the uh, Chicago School, and we know within the classical liberal movement, there's quite a bit of debate between the Chicago School and the Austrian School uh, to this day. Uh, during his time, did he engage uh, uh, quite vehemently in, in that in that debate, or was it just very much a free flow of ideas, or was there a sort of a Chicago school Austrian tension in his time? Well, I, I think it was. I mean, there's something called the Chicago Plan. I can't remember exactly when it was published, but he 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 sort of I think ideologically played lip service to it, and he, he was sympathetic. It was the idea that you could have um 100% fractional reserve banking, and that you could get rid of the ability of the banks to create artificial credit. And I, I, I think he could certainly understand that Austrian school argument. And indeed, in my, my own time as a member of parliament, I had a great deal of sympathy for Austrian school economics. I introduced a bill in parliament to try to end fractional reserve banking. 
But one of the reasons why I'm very drawn to Friedman is because I think Friedman actually slightly veered away from that 100% anti-reserve uh, banking Austrian ideal. He, I think, recognized that governments needed to focus on controlling the money supply. I suspect that his response to the financial crisis of 2007-2008 would have been to be fiercely critical of the, the Greenspan part, the, the, the easy money economics, the, the low interest rate policy pursued by central bankers, which created the credit bubble. I suspect he probably would have been fiercely and, and indeed was critical of, of some of the bailouts. But I don't think he would have gone as far as some of the Austrians would have gone, which is to say that, you know, frankly, there should be um, you know, no, no, no um, fractional reserve banking whatsoever. He, he was very good at offering practical solutions uh, for politicians of his day without compromising on, on, on principles. I, I, I think there is a tension between Friedman-style monetarism, which is not Austrian e school economics, and the ideas of people like, people like von Mises. Um, I, I, I find Friedman intriguing precisely because I think he, 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 he straddles, as, as many of us on the free market conservative right do, he straddles that, that, that tension. Um, I'm not sure actually if it's a tension that, that is, is easily resolved. He was in favor of free floating exchange rates. He was um, critical of the, the, the Bretton Woods system and he advocated, it was a very um, radical idea uh, when he was advocating it, that exchange rates should be allowed to float. Um, but whether or not the current system of 100% fiat currency that we have with free floating exchange rates is entirely sustainable, whether or not perhaps we might have to look again at some of the Austrian ideas, I, I don't know. The one thing I do know about Friedman is he constantly challenged his assumptions he constantly questioned his assumptions. At one time, he was a, a, a monetarist, a, a powerful advocate of the idea of governments controlling the money supply. Later on in his career, towards the, the end of his, his, his time, he was still writing columns and still um, writing articles and still thinking. He said one or two things that suggest he, he, he might have been slightly critical of, of, of how governments, um, particularly under Greenspan, had been using um, monetary targeting. So, you know, he was, he was clearly someone, I think, who, who was willing to, you know, as, as Keynes, his, his, his intellectual nemesis perhaps said, you know, when, when, when facts and circumstances changed, he was, he was willing to change too. He wasn't a, an ideological gold bug. It's interesting you say that because we know his son, for example, David Friedman, on the spectrum of classical liberal thinking is very much an anarcho-capitalist, whereas Milton himself did see a role for government, particularly, for example, in areas of education, uh, for, yep. for, uh, for example. Now, given that, where do you think personally, I know you're an admirer of his, where do you think that there are, where are the issues that, or what are the issues that you might disagree with Milton Friedman? Well, I, I'm, just me two seconds. Sure. It's noise in the background. Just waiting for a dog to stop barking. Is that good? Yep. Um, Friedman advocated for a negative income tax. And 
I would be rather skeptical about the idea of a negative income tax, partly because that idea has re-emerged today um, under the guise of a so-called universal basic income. I, I mean, I think there are important differences between what Friedman was talking about when he said there should be a, a negative um, income tax and what some of the advocates for universal basic income tax are uh, promoting, which is basically a, a form of, of radical redistribution. But I, I would be very cautious about giving any ground at all to the UBI movement. I think it's profoundly dangerous. And I think it, it, it could end up giving us a, a form of redistributive socialism. And I, 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 I'm always rather cautious and cool towards uh, fellow travelers on the, on, the, on, on the free market right who, who promote this idea of a, of a UBI on the basis that Friedman had some sympathy for it. One area where I think Friedman is particularly relevant today and going to become relevant is the idea of education choice. Sadly, Reagan, Thatcher, and pretty much every Western government, with a few exceptions, never really took him up on his ideas on uh, a school voucher. You could argue that perhaps Sweden did, and to some extent Chile has got there. Um, you could argue that some US charter schools are moving in that direction. But there's nothing like the simplicity and the universality of the school voucher that Friedman wanted. I think that the actions of teaching unions and the failure of public sector schools in Britain and America and, and in, in parts of Europe to actually reopen are, are going to raise once again this idea of a school voucher. If the people that you pay to educate your children starting in September are not willing to open their school for whatever reasons and whatever pretexts, surely you should allow parents, as Friedman advocated, a right to control their child's share of the local government education budget. So I, I, I think there are ideas that Friedman had that were never implemented, which are actually going to become increasingly more relevant and increasingly, increasingly topical. Now, you spoke earlier about how uh, Milton Friedman might have reacted to the uh, government reaction and their policies in the light of the global financial crisis. Uh, we see something similar now. We're in the middle of a lockdown or pandemic. Um, and of course, we've seen a massive government intervention, um, more spend of taxpayers' money, etc. How do you think Milton Friedman would have been reacting now? What would he have been saying and writing in response to the government's response to the pandemic? Well, I, I think Friedman would look in despair at some of the macroeconomic policy making that we've seen over, not just over the past six months during the COVID crisis, but, but you know, possibly over the past decade or so since the financial crisis. This reckless accumulation of debt, it, it ultimately undermines the monetary system. Um, and I, I, I think... Um, there's not much point in being a monetarist if your government is generating so many IOUs and so much quantitative easing and so much Mickey Mouse money that it, it runs a risk of crashing the, um, the, the, the whole system. I, I think Friedman would understand that you need to have a, a, a free labour market and you need to have a pricing system to reallocate resources. Now, the the COVID crisis and the shutdown, whether you think it's necessary or not, it's happened. It, it's going to mean enormous economic dislocation. I think Friedman would be arguing that what you need to do is to allow the market to reallocate those resources as quickly as possible. 
having a, a furlough scheme that pays people to sit around doing nothing in jobs that are not going to be there when they eventually have to go back to work. That's not a smart move. Actually, what you need to be doing is you need to be allowing people back into the labor market sooner rather than later. If people are not going to have a job to go back to, you need to, to, to give them the bad news as quickly as possible so they can begin to find new jobs. Instead of introducing measures like a, a, a digital tax to try to save the high street, I think Friedman would recognize that that's, that's simply folly. What, what you should be doing is you should be removing restrictions, you should be liberalizing, you should be allowing the free market. And if, if that means that you know, there's going to be a, a recalibration of the way that retail operates, then, then, then so be it. You can't ultimately prevent things from happening and prevent innovation from happening by using the tax system. All you can do is, is add to human misery and economic uh, stagnation. So I think he, he would recognize that actually the way out of this crisis is for governments to do less, for governments to start to spend less, to live within their means, and for us to, to liberalize. I suspect he would also be saying that, look, during the height of the lockdown, we suddenly found that there are a whole bunch of regulations that actually you could put to one side and the world wouldn't fall apart. Why don't we seriously rethink some of the regulations that we have in place? Um, I, I think you would see opportunities in the dislocation that we're seeing. Um, you know, the fact is, you and I are having this conversation using technology. We've been forced into having these sorts of dialogues. You do this series for the IEA incredibly effectively. I suspect if we were doing this a year ago, you would have, you, you, you would have thought, and I would have thought that we should be doing this um, in, in, in a room together in the centre of London. There are all sorts of changes to the way we work, um, technologically-led innovations that actually mean that actually we can come out of a, 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 this crisis in, in better shape with higher productivity. But Friedman would have recognised that the way to get out of this mess is to allow the free market and innovation not to try and do it by government blueprint and design. Well, uh, Douglas Castle, it's been a, a fascinating discussion about Milton Friedman. Uh, to, to sum up, if you like, what would you, if someone said to you, oh, you know, uh, you know, come on, uh, you know, uh, Douglas, you've chosen uh, Milton Friedman, what is it about him? What should everyone know about Milton Friedman? Either as an elevator pitch or just generally, what would you say? Do you know why Friedman is so relevant today? Why he's more relevant than he's ever been? Precisely because the legacy that he left us of a free and open world where you can buy and sell things freely between countries. That legacy is under attack as never before. Battles that we had assumed we had won in the 80s and the 90s, we're going to have to fight again. Now, Friedman showed us how to do this. Friedman used the technology of his day, which was a television, um, and he used the medium of his day, prime time you, you, uh, public service broadcasting in America, to get his message across. We need to ask ourselves, how can we do what Friedman did? How can we make the case for freedom and for free markets? And what would be the, the new way of doing it? And I, I think free market think tanks around the world, like the IEA, uh, we should all be asking ourselves, what would Milton be doing today? He wouldn't be remaking free to choose the way he made it in, a, in 1980. He would be doing it in all sorts of innovative, clever new ways. He'd be doing some things like Live with Littlewood, um, uh, programs like this. I, I think we should all be inspired by Friedman. And the reason why Friedman was such a powerful advocate 
is because he had this incredible authenticity. He wasn't the most charismatic speaker. He, he certainly didn't look particularly uh, telegenic. He, he was quite short. He, he, he was bald, not that there's anything wrong with being bald. Um, I say so myself as someone who's focally challenged. Um, he wore glasses, but he had this magnetic quality because when you looked into his eyes, when he was explaining a complex idea in that very folksy way he had, you knew he believed it. And, and that authenticity, that, that sincerity, that's what came across to tens of millions of people. And we've got to find a new way of capturing that to make the ideas for liberty afresh and anew. If we don't, if we don't, Friedman's golden age and the golden age he helped create will be the aberration. We need to refight the battles that he fought and fight them anew. And we can do it, but we should do it the way he did it. And he's inspirational to all of us. That reminds me of something I was told very early on as a young PhD student, that the, the battle for liberty is never over. And even, you know, even when Francis Fukuyama wrote The End of History of the Last Man and Liberal Democracy of Triumph, you know, you look a few years later, in the United Kingdom, we nearly had a Marxist government. Who, who would have thought that in 2020, we would be talking about people being thrown out of universities for saying things that aren't approved of? The left would become all censorious and, you know, banning things left, right and centre. And that we would be looking at a conservative chancellor wanting to impose new taxes to try to stop economic innovation. We need to regather and refight these ideas. And, and the IEA is doing a, a fantastic job. And well done to you for, for all that you do in the fight for freedom. It is, it, is, it is inspirational to me, and I hope it's inspirational to those who, who, who watch your show, um, Syed. I, I um, thank you for all you do. Well, I don't think I could add anything more to that, but Douglas, thank you very much. Douglas Carswell, thank you very much uh, for joining us today to discuss uh, one of the great classical liberal thinkers, um, American economist, Chicago School economist, uh, Milton Friedman. And thank you to our viewers and our listeners. For more details about online content, please go to our website, ia.org.uk, subscribe to our YouTube channel, IA London, or listen to our podcasts on Podbean. And to help us keep providing free content during these tough times, please do consider making a contribution to help with the dissemination of free ideas, no matter how modest, by donating online at ia.org.uk slash donate hyphen now. Thank you for watching or listening today. We hope that you'll join us again soon.